Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The New Statesman. I'm Megan Gibson, and you're listening to World Review from The New Statesman, a twice weekly international news podcast. Every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. And then later in the week, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. Today, I'm speaking to Yan John Huang, Senior Fellow for the Global Health at the Council on Foreign Relations, a professor at Seton Hall University School of Diplomacy and International Relations, and the author of Toxic Politics, China's Environment, Health Crisis, and Its Challenge to the Chinese State. We'll discuss China's zero COVID policy and whether the country will be able to open up and pivot away from its mass lockdown strategy. Yan John, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Megan, for having me. So I just want to start out with the very basic. What is the zero COVID policy and why was it introduced? Well, that term zero COVID, or in Chinese, Qingling, actually first appeared, I think, February 2020 when China was still fighting the outbreak in Wuhan. But it officially became a policy after the end of the outbreak in the city. Basically, by now, by China had managed to contain the outbreak, by the issue become how to sustain by the extremely low level of infection. So... They launched this zero COVID policy by through mass testing, quarantine, isolation, contact tracing, and if necessary, snap lockdowns, essentially to cut the local transmission chain, to reset the cases you know, to zero if there's a local outbreak. Basically, that approach right, does not tolerate by right, even a single digit number of cases by right, should that occur. And I mean, at that time, at the beginning of the pandemic, we did see other Asian countries adopt similar strategies, 
maybe it wasn't quite zero COVID, but very strict, especially compared to what we were facing in Europe or North America. What what was it that kind of spurred China to really bed in and follow through completely with that policy? Yeah, it is China certainly was not the only country that pursued by the zero COVID policy. I think the difference is just in terms of the scope, the scale, the, the methods they use, by the, the, and of course, by how that was sustained for so long when other countries essentially are moving away from that approach. I think uh, the stake is raised high in China because this concern about this so-called worst-case scenario that should China that relaxes policy, there will be surge of cases, there will be mass die-off, there will be the collapse of the healthcare system, right? and that could have implications for social political stability, it could threaten, right, the smooth, the leadership transition, uh, the, and there's also, right, this ideological factors being built in, right, in the fight against the COVID because it is also framed as a competition between two political systems, right, they essentially China want to use that to showcase the superiority of its political system. The stake becomes so high. So that actually, I think, convinced China, even though, you know, it's going to pay the price by the economy, the society, but it's worth the while to maintain a zero COVID policy. And I just want to unpack a little bit the implications and ramifications for the population on how COVID zero has been enforced. What kind of very severe measures have been put in place in order to to maintain zero COVID? One of those measures, like mass PCR testing, right? <laughs> Many of the Western countries, like here in the US, right, basically we don't keep a centralized, state-dictated testing system, right? You get sick, you just maybe buy a testing kit at the Walgreens or CVS, then get tested. And you don't need to worry, right? If it's tested positive, we will be dragged into you know, a makeshift hospital to be isolated, or if you become a close contact with someone who is tested positive, you will be quarantined. And then also just recover, mostly at home. So it is very different there. And then also, but they, if they um, are realized, right, that, or if they want to cut to the transmission chain in the shortest period of time, they would like to rely on the snap lockdown measures, but the entire city would be under lockdown. People would not be allowed to travel outside the city. You know, many people were asked to stay at home. They, uh, the government would distribute the basic necessities, the food, the vegetables. And you have also what neighborhood committees like, you know, being mobilized to you know, ensure, right, that this is being strictly followed, all those rules that of zero COVID being strictly followed. So it's quite a different system. I wanted to ask about vaccines and what percentage of the population is vaccinated and whether vaccine mandates have played a role in that or whether there's been resistance to the vaccine mandates. If you look at the China's by the official vaccination rate nationwide, it's close to 90%. Mm -hmm. And it's 
quite impressive. 90% means that 90% of the population have been administered with at least two doses, uh, mostly inactivated vaccines from uh, Sinopharm or Sinovac. But China doesn't have a vaccine mandate that just uh, uh, launched a campaign, I think, in December 2000. Wanting to promote the use of the vaccines, then by uh, essentially March this year, they have achieved 90%. So that was quite impressive. Although, you know, if you compare, right, the, the vaccination rate of particular segment of the population, like the elderly, why mm-hmm. China actually well, doesn't have a very as high vaccination rate, even compared to its country like the United States. And obviously, with the elderly population being so vulnerable to COVID-19 and the very large population in China, a significant portion of them not being vaccinated could theoretically overwhelm the healthcare system if a outbreak were to happen. Yeah, that's exactly one of the reasons they used to justify the sustaining of the zero COVID policy. said, we have a large elderly population, many of them are not fully vaccinated. If we open up, right, there will be you know, hundreds of thousands, if not more, people dying of mm-hmm. COVID-19. That is the outcome that is not acceptable. And why has there been so much trouble getting the elderly population vaccinated? I think this is a complicated story, right? Initially, when they launched the campaign, they didn't prioritize the elderly, right? In part, whereas the official explanations that they didn't have the data on the effectiveness of the vaccine on the elderly. But uh, I think public messaging also matters when the government uh, failed to send a clear message you know, on the safety and effectiveness of its vaccines, right? The, the, the elderly people got confused. They, for example, an elderly person with high blood pressure, right? <laughs> he went to a doctor asking, should I get vaccinated? He would not get you know, a clear answer from the doctor saying, yes, you should get vaccinated. So that also that led to by the vaccine skepticism, hesitancy in China. They feel that the vaccine is not good, not as good for the elderly. And in the meantime, well, that the zero COVID policy also, right, that gives them a full sense of security that as mm-hmm. long as they stay at home, they're well protected. They don't need the vaccines. So the lockdown has become a crutch against any kind of yeah. internal immunity. Yeah, it's becoming like a self-sustaining thing, right? Yes. The, the higher the immunity gap gives actually more reason to sustain zero COVID. And what do we know about the effectiveness of the Chinese-made vaccines? The When the inactive vaccines were used, right, the efficacy rate actually varied. That depends on where you did the phase three clinical trial, right? The Brazil, the data shows about 50% right, the efficacy rate. But in Indonesia, more than, I think, uh, close to 68% okay. the efficacy rate, even though they were both by inactivated vaccines. But that was before the arrival of the Omicron 
viral way. So we have seen a significant drop of the efficacy rate of those vaccines by in dealing with highly transmissible variants like Omicron. There are many people probably that they have very low antibody level, especially after six months of receiving mm-hmm. the vaccines. Some of them, the antibody level dropped to a level that undetectable, essentially. Right. But they study also suggested that they're giving a booster shot. The three doses seems to have the same effectiveness as the MIM vaccines in terms of reducing severe cases. Okay. What was behind the decision not to approve any foreign mRNA vaccines? Yeah, that is still one of the biggest puzzles <laughs> that in China's fight against COVID-19. I think the reason is not that they don't have vaccine. So there's the Chinese, but top Chinese scientists, uh, officials, public health officials talk about the unfavorable terms by the use of MIM vaccines. They are also experimenting right, the uh, MIM vaccines, hoping to develop right, their own by homegrown vaccines. Or recently, Indonesia actually authorized the use of the Chinese-made MIM vaccines. Think that the technological nationalism certainly played a role. They would prefer to use their own homegrown MIA vaccine. But that seems to experience some technological hurdles by the development process. And, and in the meantime, well, this, the, I think probably one more important reason is that vaccines have never been a main, a major tool by in implementing China's zero COVID policy, right? That because by the zero COVID policy essentially cannot tolerate any infection. But even the best vaccines, right, they cannot guarantee, right, the 100% protection, right? Mm-hmm. And for a local leader, right, they are asked to contain the spread of the virus in the shortest period of time by right? those campaigns, the zero COVID measures like the lockdown turn out to be a more, in their opinion, more effective means right, than uh, vaccines. So what part of this policy then is about public health and what part of this policy is about politics? I think well, as far as ending zero COVID is concerned, I think ultimately it's a political decision, not a public health one. We know, right, that in the worldwide, in most other countries, shifting away from a containment-based approach that learning to live with the virus. China continued to highlight the severity of the disease and pointing to the rising cases and deaths by the other countries to justify the merits of that policy. I think even though in China, the middle class residents in large cities by increasingly realized that this excessive measures and not the right solution to the problems. The, I think the government continue to believe right, that, that this policy is the best approach. This, I still believe, this continue to believe that China has done a good job in balancing economic growth and the COVID prevention and the control even though by price, by the social and economic cost is <laughs> rising exponentially. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman. 
in digital, in print, or both, from as little as £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's €1 a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads, the best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including the historian Colin Kidd on Watergate's renewed relevance in a post-Trump era. Today's obsessions about a deep state took their rise in the 70s amid this climate of anxiety. Jeff Dyer's reflections on how to grow old in America. He was propped up in bed, proudly sporting a badge. Private medicine makes me sick. Maria Vilcek tells the story of how the hard men of Belarusian football took on Alexander Lukashenko. Hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. One was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I wanted to ask about the economic toll this policy has taken. Well, we are seeing right how it has hit the economy so hard, right? The second quarter, GDP grows closer to zero. But we are seeing by the third quarter, they just released the data shows like a 3.2, I believe. So there's a rebound, 3.2% growth, but still, right, that is because the second quarter performed so bad. Yeah. Right? We are seeing, right, that the local governments are facing the fiscal deficits. The youth unemployment is rising significantly. Uh, 
people are suppressing, but the local, you know, domestic de- demands, consumption are being suppressed. So this is all going to be bad news for China's economy, right? Because even the, the, the Bank of China, right, is the state-owned bank, right, predicted, right, that there will be the, uh, a little bit over 3%, right, the, the annual GDP growth rate that is far short of by the officially projected 5.5% mm-hmm. economic growth rate. And how closely associated is this policy with Xi Jinping? If you read the most recent article, right, that after the 20th Party Congress, there's a long article basically praising the uh, the president, how wise is, for example, it makes it clear, right, that again, right, that she is on top of the zero COVID policy, is personally in command of China's pandemic, even in Shanghai, right? In the spring, right, that zero COVID policy might be implemented in the city that contributed to a humanitarian you know, fiasco. Mm-hmm. It's still, right, India says that the President Xi is personally in command. And that article, was that in, in Chinese state media? Yeah. Yeah. So as it is so closely associated with Xi Jinping, how much harder does it make to change that policy or move That's away from exactly it? That's exactly what it's right? The way a policy so closely tied to the top decision maker, right? The uh, moving away from that approach is tantamount to admitting policy failure. I think uh, that uh, I think would not be acceptable. I mean, we're talking about an abrupt policy shift. I won't rule out that uh, possibility that China may take an incremental approach to move away from zero COVID in the future. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask, because obviously we've just seen the end of the Chinese Party Congress. Obviously, a lot of political energy and effort and focus was put on that. So perhaps maybe now as that's passed, we could see a shift. Yeah, on the one hand, you could say uh, is this reshuffle the top leadership, right? That she is in a much more secured position, more latitude, right? Uh, room to maneuver to pursue his favored policy agenda. Mm-hmm. And that all depends on what is his favored agenda is. Mm-hmm. If we continue to believe that the zero COVID is the best approach, yeah. and I think we will sustain it. And if we believe by the time has come to pivot away from the approach, I will start to redefine the narrative, the introducing by the measures by the to move away from that approach. Mm-hmm. But the, 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 his political speech at the 20th Party Congress not really gave us much, uh, many clues whether where China is going to move away from zero COVID. Because mm-hmm. he just uh, summarized what China has achieved on the zero COVID. But the, 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 that he didn't say whether China will definitely or continue that policy in mm-hmm. the future. And if the economy does continue to struggle and the middle classes in urban centers continue to get frustrated and impatient with the policy. What chances are there that there could be 
some kind of backlash or political instability. The thing is, you know, how, you know, again, the, the top decision maker balance, right, the, the, uh, this economic development and COVID prevention control, right? Before the 20th Party Congress, I thought that you know, when the, given those damage, destructive impact on the economy sooner or later, right, they're going to move away from zero COVID. It's uh, there's the, uh, the damage the economy and society are reached in a certain like, tipping point, right, that, that China had no choice right, mm-hmm. to move away from that approach. But now I'm not so uh, sure, given that the, the economic development is, seems to be placed relatively like a back burner issue now, when China started to highlight right, the, the national security, when they start to highlight the importance of political loyalty, right? So it appears that uh, this economic this, the development the considerations will be less important to concern, right, in terms of deciding whether China should continue zero COVID. Yanzheng Wang, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been the World Review from the New Statesman. You can read all our international coverage on our website, newstatesman.com. And if you want to hear more on China and Xi Jinping's control of the Communist Party, you can listen to our special three-part podcast series by Katie Stallard called China Under Xi, available right here on the Worldview podcast feed. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate us. And for bonus points, please leave us a nice review. My producer has been Adrian Bradley. The team will be back later this week. I'm Megan Gibson. Thanks for listening. Until next time. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.